Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 1 Kings 15. Well, the last time we saw the tragic effects on King Jeroboam of the northern kingdom. Now, tonight we're going to differentiate Israel split, right? Really because of ungodliness, this wonderful nation ends up splitting in half. Eight of the tr- uh, ten of the tribes go to the north, and they usually called Israel, the northern kingdom. And then the two tribes ended up in the south, which was the Judah, where Jerusalem was and still is. So you're going to hear it to me, you're going to hear me refer to a fractured nation, a divided nation, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, so basically Jeroboam was a king of the north. He was a stubborn king. He turned away from God. He ended up losing his son to death, and he still refused to listen. He still refused to change. And today we're going to look at prophecies that were made to him and his, child, his progeny, his children after him. With an added twist... Um, really basically how did these men finish how did they start how did they finish certainly the application hopefully is an introspective one where we look at our own life and say where am I with the Lord how am I going to finish with the Lord you know am I going to is this like a, a faith that's just oh I get so excited and I came up and I received Jesus and it was really cool in the beginning and now life's trials and problems have come upon me and I've just decided to handle things a different way or am I going to still trust God with the outcome of my life to the very end I've been a Christian for 22 years right around that give or take and uh you know I just you just develop a great relationship with your God with your creator I mean I just go get so excited because I just want everybody to know about him so we're going to jump in verse Kings 1 Kings 15, starting with verse 1. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, I like that name, became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father. Not very complimentary. Which he had done before him, his heart was not loyal, not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake... The Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, northern and southern kingdom, all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So Abijam, Abijah, it's the same name. Little, you know, if you understood Hebrew, just little nuances, but it, same word, same thing. Uh, and he takes over from Rehoboam as the king of Judah. So Judah is the southern kingdom. Just, there's a lot of Abijahs. Last chapter there was a bunch of Abijahs my name is Joe okay Abijah back then was like Joe today <laughs> you know I have so many Joes in this church actually there's a lot of Vinnies and James too 
but it was a common name. So don't get confused. There was a, a prophet, there was Jeroboam's son, and now there's, um, there's Abijam, who's the king of the southern kingdom. Okay, David's, again, King David is favorably men- mentioned, except, it says, for the Uriah the Hittite matter. It was a stain on his record, but he was forgiven. David did repent. The difference between David and Abijam and Jeroboam and many others is the fact that David did repent. Repentance is very important. Sometimes even in the church, because we don't want to make waves, we don't seek repentance. You know, people sin and we, you know, it, it's not right because repentance is good for everyone. It's good for the church. It's good for the person who's sinned so that they can understand that there's consequences for this. Sin could really hurt us and it could kill us. And, and ultimately, we're offending God. And repentance is, a, asking, is, a, is an attitude of, of changing, changing behavior. So David repented. And David was one of the greatest kings ever. You know, he could have been so lifted up with pride, but he did wrong. He committed adultery, and then he murdered or sent the man into battle that the woman was married to, and he really had to repent for that. And he was also punished for that. Right? Sin has its consequences. But... I'm amazed because when I look at this, you can look at this two ways or you can look at it both ways. So we're, we're talking about David, we're talking about Uriah the Hittite who he sent into battle this innocent man to be killed. Uriah the Hittite exemplifies the grace of God but at the same time the anger of God against sin. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it's mentioned here. Yes, David did that but God forgave him. Okay, And you've got to put the two of them together. It's not an either or. It's both. Verse 4, he gave these kings, these leaders, to be a lamp in the kingdom. What's a lamp supposed to do? Well, back in those days, today we have LEDs, and they're really powerful, and they use very little juice. But back in the day, they had these little oil lamps, and it was a a, a light, a, a little flame, like a candle, and it flickered. And if it was nighttime, you could just see, you know, the whole place could be pitch dark. No street lights back then, maybe some stars. But that little lamp made a lot of light in that area. Uh, and we know that in the Old Testament, uh, God's people were supposed to reflect His light, His glorious light. And we know in the New Testament, what does Jesus says? You know, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be like little Jesuses. We're supposed to reflect Jesus, emanate Jesus. Right? So the New Testament, Old Testament, it's the same thing. Leading Israel as the king was a de facto ministerial position. In other words, if you were the king of this nation that was of God's people, you, in, in essence, were, were pastoring, you were shepherding the, God's people. So the kings, a lot of the kings took it lightly or they just used it for power, but God wanted them to use it in a spiritual sense, in a ministerial sense. So if you jump with me to Second Chronicles 13, because it goes with 1 Kings 15, Chronicles is looked more from the spiritual aspect. Um, same, same person, Abijam, Abijah, same person. It says, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel the Gibeah, of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Remember, north and southern kingdom, fighting with each other. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men, Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. So twice the army the north had than the south. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim, which is the, the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all Israel. 
Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt, which means that once God makes a covenant, um, it's forever. That's what a, a covenant of salt meant. Don't forget, this is God that we're, we're, we're sitting in the position that he gave us. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against the Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David. And you are a great multitude, and with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as God. So the northern kingdom went into idolatry quickly. They went against God. They started worshiping, you know, golden calves, baby cows. It was kind of weird. I mean, people today still worship animal gods and stuff, but that's not who God is, okay? He, he created the animals. Uh, have you not cast out the priest and the, the, of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, and made for yourself priests, you made your own priests, like the people of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not God. So the, I, the worship was so polluted that he, the guy even brought his, his friends in as priests if they gave him enough money. Um, and they were not from the line of Levi, so they, they couldn't have been priests. Uh, but he did it anyway. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the commandment of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look, God himself is with us as our head, and his priests, the priests were actually there at the battle, uh, with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. Sounds like a good sermon so far. It's very interesting about who this Abijam is. But Jeroboam caused an ambush. So in the middle of him preaching, pretty much, the king of the north causes an ambush. Go around them so they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind so there were men in front and behind so they're on two fronts not a good place to be when you're in the middle in the battle and when Judah looked around to their surprise the battle line was in front and rear and they cried out to the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets then the men of Judah gave a shout and the men of Judah shouted it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijam and Judah and the children of Israel fled before Judah and God delivered them into their hand then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter, so 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Application for us today. Nothing's changed. We prevail when our heart is right, and we're relying on the Lord God, and it's his will. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel and its villages, Jeshana with its villages, Ephron with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. Okay. Well, to this, um, here's interesting. Abijah preaches, but First Kings tells us that he walked in all the sins of his father. But here he knew how to call on God. I'm going to talk about that. Second Chronicles 13, Abijah's face with an attack from the front and the back, from the northern army. Abijah's preaching, pretty much, you shouldn't do this. This is a warning. God is with us. 
Don't do it. And again, brother is fighting against brother. It's like a civil war. Um, half of Jeroboam, again, the two, there's a two-front war here. Uh, Abijah has the priest blow the trumpet. The men shout. They call on God. And Judah is miraculously delivered. They're half the army, 50% of what the other guy has. And, and Judah wins. And the North Kingdom suffers a, a great number of casualties. But we're told again that the guy who preached was walking in the sins of his father and his heart was not loyal to the Lord like David's heart was to the Lord. All I can say is that people are strange. And it isn't for me to judge or you to judge whose heart God knows. You know, He knows, every one of us, if our heart is really for him or for putting on a show. Anybody can put on a show. And you know, even today, people can have a form of spirituality. I mean, they can be churchgoers. They can be church people. They can serve in the church, but not know the Lord. The, um, <laughs> the BTK killer, Dennis Rader, was an elder in his church. And when they finally caught him, and he's been in jail for a while now, I know somebody who's been writing him because they're going to college and they have to, it's a long story, sociology or whatever, he, oh, supposedly, the BT, Dennis Rader has become a born-again Christian in prison. And he said, when I was an elder in my church, he goes, I wasn't saved. Obviously, I killed people. And he was witness to, and people prayed over him, and he probably had a demon. But supposedly, he knows the Lord now. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Right? He was an elder in his church. Now he's in jail. As an elder in his church, he was killing people. Now he's in jail, and supposedly he's born again. So I'm, I'm really, this is probably more confusing than anything. <laughs> so it's okay because probably other people are confused too. Um, I, would, I would add this too. Was God fooled by this preaching? No, he wasn't. I believe that God delivered Judah not for the king's sake, Abijam. I believe he delivered Judah for Judah's sake, for the people's sake. He'll deal with the leaders, churches, countries, presidents. But I believe that God delivered Judah for the people's sake. 1 Kings 15, going back to 1 Kings 15, keep going, verse 9. And I'm doing this because there's an order to this. On the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa now becomes king over Judah, and he reigns 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Micaiah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he banished the perverted persons from the land. He removed all the idols his father had made. He removed Mecca, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. Remember, there were a lot of statues, a lot of wood carving. Some of them were pornographic. They were obscene. Um, and it reflected a God that these people wanted. So just because it was Israel, there were people in there that really, they really didn't have a heart for the Lord. They lived there. They were cultural Jewish people, but they really didn't have a heart for the Lord. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. So Asa now takes over from Abijam. And I'm going to just at the end go through it briefly because you're like, because we're in the North Kingdom, we're in the South, we're in the North. It's just the way Bible records parallel history. What's going on in the North? What's going on in the South? So Abijam, or Asa takes over from Abijam, and the Bible says that Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he did some notable good things as the king. He had the, the courage to remove grandma. 
grandma was in a, in a position, in a royal position, and she was doing bad stuff. So he said, Grandma, you're fired. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're done. Um, he had the courage to do that because she was an idolater and it was really offensive to God. Most people wouldn't do that. They would try to keep the peace. There's a term called nepotism where the opposite is true. If you have family members and you get a position of power, you want to have all your you know, brothers and sisters, all the people that are close to you in that with you so they can enjoy that prestige, whether they're uh, qualified or not. It's not a good thing, but that's called nepotism. Uh, Asa also makes an example of her idolatry and destroys grandma's obscene image. He cut down that, that, that weird perverted statue. And again, a lot of these false gods were, it was just, they were obscene. So he, he got rid of that. Three, he, his heart was loyal to the Lord, but he didn't get rid of all the high places. Now that's interesting. Maybe he thought it would start a revolt. Maybe he didn't want to go too far as the king. A lot of pressure at the top for a leader to make decisions that are unpopular. Um, in the Bible, it's called fear of man. Today, we would call it peer pressure. That's a term in the last 30, 40 years, peer pressure. And it's not just for teenagers. People who are older, uh, people in every walk of life have peer pressure. They're peers. They want to make decisions that make everybody happy. And they can't always do that. And some people succumb to peer pressure and it hurts them later. The last thing, verse 14, was that Asa was loyal to the Lord, but we find he wasn't thorough. Okay? He left those high places. And it, it reminds me of when you get an infection. And if you don't clean out the wound thoroughly, it looks good, it feels good for a while, you dress it. But that infection starts up again, and sometimes it's worse than it was before. My two cents. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 14, 8 through 15. Moving through this pretty quickly. 2 Chronicles 14, 8 through 15. And Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah who carried shields and spears from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows, and all these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, which would have been North Africa, which would have been pretty close to Israel, came out against them with an army of a million men. It's a lot of big army for those days. And 300 chariots, and he came to Marisha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Now, listen, we, we complain sometimes because the electric bills, you know, has to come due or something this or something. I really like that new pair of sneakers. When these people cried out, man, they were in trouble. There was troops facing them. There was chariots. They didn't have chariots. They were outnumbered two to one or more. And they're like, Lord, if you don't help us, they're going to kill us. They're going to slaughter us. So people back then really, really had to live their faith because there was danger in, in constantly. And you know, we, sometimes we complain as Americans, and honestly, we just have it so good. We don't get what a lot of the rest of the world is going through. So they cry out to the Lord, Lord, it's nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover. For they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. 
Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there were exceedingly much spoil in them, and they also attacked the livestock enclosures, carried off sheep and camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. You have to remember, in some of these wars, you know, the army had to do something. You know, the villages were getting overrun, they were being torched, people were being abused, uh, plundered, taken into slavery. Some of these times they had to gather an army because they were just really defending themselves. Uh, and they really had no choice. So uh, this, this army comes up from Africa north to a town of Judah by the Dead Sea. Uh, and Asa knew how to call on God for help. And, and basically God delivers them and everything is subdued for a while. God gave Judah victory over a much larger army. And you know what? This is for you too. 2015, even with our small problems, big problems, small problems, there's, there's nothing that I would... Somebody said to me, would you pray for this? Unless it was sinful, I would. And, and I believe that God can do it. So, you know, sometimes people look, oh, that was back then. No, it's today too, you know. If it's something in His will and it's something that's, that's right, pray for it. And I trust Him for it. You know, it's, it's, nothing is too big. First Kings 15, going back, uh, 16 through 22. Now there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Okay, remember, Baasha's in the north, Judah's in the south. For the most part, the kings in Judah were better. I don't think there was any good kings in the north after Solomon, after David and Solomon. But you had some really good kings in the south that were still trying to honor the Lord. Um, so again, north and south fighting. What a terrible thing when God's own people are at each other's throats. I mean, we see that today sometimes in churches. But it's, it's really sad, and it's really not what God would want. Verse 18, Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasure, treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and delivered them to the hand of his servants. And King Asa said to Ben-Hadad, the son of to Brimom, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. By the way, Damascus in Syria is still Damascus. It's a very ancient city. Saying, let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. I need a break. This guy's on me. He's on my people. We're in trouble. Syrians, help us out. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the city of Israel. He attacked Ijan, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mekah, and all Chinaroth, by the way, that's by the Sea of Galilee, with all the land of Naphtali. Now what happened when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building, and with them King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So in my Bible, this is actually labeled the disobedience of, of Asa, King Asa, who was a good man. Asa, I can only speculate for the guy. I can say that maybe he panicked. Maybe he was battle-weary. He just was like, he was in, in a pinch. He should have called on God, but he made a, an agreement with the Syrians that said, help us out. We're being attacked from Israel. If you divert them, then they'll leave us alone. And that happened. What did Asa do wrong? 
He relied on man instead of relying on God. This keeps coming up. This is coming up in Daniel. It's coming up in 1 Kings. This is something that keeps coming up. Um, and it just goes to show you that no man is perfect, no matter how good he is, man or woman. Also, check this out. The plan worked. So, so Asa did not rely on God. He relied on the Syrians, and he got a break. Be careful with that one. Sometimes we can do things in this world and not rely on God, and everything turns out fine, and we think, oh, that's great. Whereas if maybe we would have had a little bit more faith and just trusted God, it might have taken a little longer, but it would have worked itself out. So this is, this is very important. Just because something works out, doing it the world's way doesn't mean that that's God's plan. That can be very deceptive, and it can grow into a, 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 you know, something really big and monstrous. Did Asa forget what God did with his father's army? Or I'm sorry, with Jeroboam's army, yes. And his father was running the southern kingdom. Did he forget what happened with the Ethiopian army? Right? God delivered both of those times. Some people just, um, they just want to use the world's way to get out of trouble. Galatians 6.9 says to us in the New Testament, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap, if, conditional statement, we do not lose heart. We can't quit on God. If we're in His will, we can't quit. We can't quit on Him. Last few verses. Second Chronicles 16, 7-10. Uh, it's very heavy. There's a lot, of, a lot of text here, but it all goes with the same storyline. Second Chronicles 16, 7-10. Now, remember, Asa is a man of God, supposedly, and look what happens at the end of his life. At that time, Hanani the seer, who was sort of like a prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Labum not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the, on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, one of my favorite scriptures, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this, Asa, you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer, and he put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. So Asa hears the message of God. Unlike David, who repented, he gets ticked off at the messenger and throws him in prison. I'll tell you, he just was here a world-class jerk, you know. And I'll tell you, back in those days, it was tough being a prophet because you had to deal with the big egos of these power-hungry kings. Um, even today, trying to speak the truth of God's Word when so many Christians are following things on TV that, that they're promised an easy life. They don't want the truth. They want something that ministers to their flesh. 1 Kings 15, 23-24, we're almost done. Death of Asa. Now the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might and all he did and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. I almost named my son Jehoshaphat, but I think he'd be upset if 
today if that was the case. Um, but we went with Josiah, which was awesome. Second Chronicles 16, two verses, 12 and 13. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was very severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord second time, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his father. He died in the 41st, 41st year of his reign. This is not a prohibition against physicians, by the way. Okay, just to make sure we understand that. Sometimes you, you read about Christians who do just bizarre things, and, and their kid is, is dying, and they don't call 911, and they, you know, I just, I think that's fringe. Um, it's not a prohibition against physician. Uh, but what it was was Asa was starting to have get into a habit when something went wrong, a war, a sickness. He just disregarded God and did it his own way. Now this could have been, what was the disease in his feet? My father, uh, when he died last year, he had congestive heart failure, and you could see it started in his legs and feet, and his skin was turning brown, and there was a circulation issue, and it started traveling. Um, could it have been congestive heart failure? Could it have been a bad infection that started and became systemic? I'm not going to speculate, but there's a lot of things that could start in the feet, and maybe it's not a bone thing, or maybe it's bone cancer, and it started to travel, and eventually it took his life. But you get the impression when you read the Scripture that if he just would have started turning to God again, God would have delivered him. And we, we read about some kings that prayed, Lord, just a few more years, and uh, God said, you got it. You had faith in me. I'm going to do it for you. Asa didn't finish well. Okay, and, and today we have to be careful of that too. Sometimes when we're hungry, when we're poor, when we're struggling, well, man, we just, we just, we need God because we're in trouble. And then when we're fed well and we have money in the bank and things change, I see this with people, they move away from God. It's sad. It's almost like afflictions bring us closer to the feet of God. Sometimes prosperity is a bad thing because we rely more on it than we rely on God. Going back to 1 Kings 15, last few verses, it says, Now Nadab the son of Jeroboam became king over Israel in the second year of Asa king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. So it's bad enough that he sinned, but he helped his people sin and that's really bad. When you want to sin yourself, and then you want to involve other people in your sin, that's bad. Because now you're not just affecting yourself. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so, when he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. That was a prophecy, by the way, that was fulfilled in 1 Kings 14. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. Again, 1 Kings 14. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, and by which he had made Israel sin, because of his provocation, with which he had provoked the Lord, of Israel, the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Israel? And there was war uh, between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Tirzah and reigned 24 years. 
He, and a lot of people doing evil here. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. So I try to present to you a balanced, a parallel. We're in the northern kingdom. We're in the southern kingdom. We're in the northern kingdom. We're in the southern kingdom. Easy for me because I teach it. If you have any questions, I have no problem even writing out a diagram for you if you need it. But it's very interesting. Basha was a very bad king. He was a violent man. Not only did he make war with his brethren, but he started killing all households of people. But he did fulfill the prophecies of the sons of Jeroboam not sitting on the throne. Basha was a scoundrel. And, you know, I'm going to tell you this, that there's certain people we should keep company with and there's certain people we can't. I wouldn't want to be friends with somebody like a Basha. Because you might think, wow, this guy gets stuff done. Man, he bumps people off. Man, I want to be around him until he doesn't like you and he bumps you off. So again, the subject keeps coming up on Wednesdays and Sundays. Be careful about that person that you think can get things done that is, seems to be powerful. It's great to ride their coattails until they turn on you. Basha was a bad man. As we close, finishing well. Question mark, I put. Finishing well. Unfortunately, the majority of the kings were not good men. But remember, why did God do this? Because he gave the people what they asked for. Remember? He said, I want to, run, I want to be, be your king. I want to you know, protect you. And, and the people were like, no, God, we don't want you. We want a king like the other nations have. That's kind of cool. Royalty and the crowns and the... You know, And God's like, okay, you can have what you want, but I warn you, your kings will raise taxes, they'll take your sons into war, they'll take advantage of you, and this is what happened. Sometimes we ask for things from God that, to me, it's a blessing when some prayers of mine are not answered. Because I want something, and then five years later, I realize he didn't give it to me five years because it would have destroyed me. Simple things. Money, this, that a promotion, you know? Um, sometimes God, it's better that he doesn't give us things that we ask for because we're not really thinking it through. But let's just go through this. In the northern kingdom, Jeroboam was evil, Nadab was evil, Basha was evil. In the southern kingdom, Rehoboam was evil, Abijam was evil, but Asa was loyal to God but finished poorly at the end of his life. It's kind of depressing. Uh, strangely enough, Abijam did good in the beginning but did not finish well. Asa was a godly man, but didn't finish well. David was a godly man, did some evil, was punished, repented, was forgiven, and left a great legacy. There's the good news. Good old David. (laughs) When David sinned, he sinned hard, but you know what? He had a heart that was broken by his sin, and he really lived a life of repentance. He was punished. There were consequences, but you know what? In the Scripture, God always mentions David. What does that tell you? In the end, everyone will face the Lord for their own lives and how they finish, including us. How will we, brothers and sisters, finish? You know, coming to the Lord, that honeymoon phase, working it out with the Lord, and then in the last waning years and months of our life, did we truly know the Lord? The message in all this is, number one, know the Lord. Number two, grow in the Lord. Some people say stay perpetual babies as Christians. Know the Lord, grow in the Lord. Finish well with the Lord. 
And I'll leave you with Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Thank you.